Cool, and that is us on. So welcome to the very first episode of the Melting Scots podcast. So the Melting Scott, for everyone who's new to our organization, is a platform that was created to empower the voices of ethnic minority Scots. Uh, and through this, we have contributors who write monthly blog posts on issues that matter to ethnic minority Scots, written by ethnic minority Scots. And uh, today will be our very first episode of the podcast, which is often quite... Um, refer to uh, as the melting pod for some reason by our creative director who loves his puns. So uh, today with me here today is our uh, contributor, Granga. Who, hey, how, how you doing, my man? So uh, yeah, Granga is from Leicester. He has moved to Edinburgh to complete a master's in modern and contemporary art after traveling to Central America for several months, where he volunteered in various community projects which involved building and teaching. Uh, his background is Indian, Gujarati, and growing up, he found himself in many positions and being a, a minority within society. Uh, and this has given him a unique perception to the disparities of racial representation, uh, which I find to be very interesting within his uh, field of uh, arts. Uh, which is something he's been uh, a great contribution to to the Melting Scott and uh, giving us a, a very interesting perspective. So, um, Granga, I'm very, very glad to have you here today with us uh, for our first uh, episode. Uh, would you like to speak through some of your uh, uh, experiences and also on the uh, blog post you created for our group? Um, yeah, of course. Um, yeah, brilliant to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Um, don't worry, it's my first time being on one of these podcasts as well. So, yeah, it's good to it's good to finally experience something like this. Um, as you said, uh, growing up, I have kind of been through various different uh, situations and places where I found myself to be a minority. And one of the first kind of experiences of this was is mainly through like the media, through television, films, and seeing representation of Asians um in other ethnic minority groups kind of um in those different situations um and the kind of main point here that i'm kind of looking to speak about is how and why ethnic minorities are being represented in these different types of way whether it be through tv film adverts and printed media um, so growing up as a person of color the lack of representation or even the type of representation became very very noticeable and so the blog post that I did for Melton Scott just kind of refers to this um, and see how where these ideas of primitivism and otherness kind of came from and its representation of art. So the types of characters that were being cast were never really, what I saw were never really the heroic protagonist types, but more of a kind of a comedic scapegoat, scapegoat sorry, um, just kind of make the joke. Um, kind of off character, some of these kind of characters can't be from Raj from Big Bang Theory, Apu, um, you've probably seen them, you've probably noticed them, which kind of, you know, it, the point of it is maybe just kind of add a little bit of like some humor to these shows, which is okay, fair enough, but we've also got to kind of consider how these kind of characters are 
being represented and what that means for these demographics. It's not just a singular person that is being kind of made fun of. It could be an entire culture and kind of uh, type of typecast, which is kind of being really, you know, really kind of degraded in some sorts. And where these kind of where these kind of uh, ideas kind of came from aren't new is what I'm trying to say here, especially in the in the blog posts is is that these ideas have been kind of situated and been brewing for hundreds of years through colonial exports, um, exploitations and imperialism. And during the late 19th century, an influx of tribal art and native objects came from Africa, the Oceania and the Americas, um, mostly by colonial exploitations in these regions by European factions. This allowed the appropriation of the forms and aesthetics of primitive cultures, these off these objects offered artists a counter narrative to industrial revolutions and mass production of globalization. So during the late 19th century, when the industrial revolution was really kind of kicking off, um, exploitations happened, exports happened, and people wanted to know and hear about various different cultures, but they didn't really want to hear or see the truth through to the Eurocentric eye. You know, it kind of made sense for Europe to kind of almost degrade and lessen other cultures and other, so to propagate their own position of power. And this kind of relates to art as well. So when these objects kind of came over to Europe and these ideas kind of came over to Europe, artists kind of used those, used those objects to kind of propagate their own work and push their own ideas forward. Not necessarily, I wouldn't say they're coming from a kind of a racist uh, standpoint, but they've just kind of took on what they, what was around them. So I don't think it's more or less of, you know, active, you know, racism. It's more kind of come as a ignorance in terms of its rep people's representations of these cultures. So one of the artists in particular that I mentioned in the blog, in the blog is Picasso and Matisse and the ideas of um, cubism. So the concept of otherness is, for the most part, used in tandem with primitivism. So when we're saying primitivism or otherness, we're referring to these different types of cultures, which are more or less seen as kind of uncivilized, savage, um, basically non-white cultures. And this comparison to the, that's made in the comparison to the European modern and sophisticated civilized, you know, the pinnacle of culture, which was found could be seen in Europe and America. And an example of this that I state in uh, the blog is, is one, of a, one of Picasso's paintings, one of his first paintings in 1907, uh, Les Demoiselles de Um It's probably one of Picasso's most recognizable work and it depicts five nude females and four of which took, uh, which four of them, which look out towards the viewer. They're, their bodies possess a very angular and abstract form and the faces are constructed like a like African or tribal masks like. So what's happened here is that Picasso and other cubists and other artists of that time used objects and artifacts from, from colonial exports to kind of rebel against the narrative that was happening in Europe at the time. And these mask-like features can be directly correlated to uh, Iberian and African sculpture, uh, sorry, Liberian and African sculpture. 
Picasso crudely appropriates delicately crafted objects as a statement to reject capitalist society. So we're saying that these artists, you know, trying to reject this global revolution of industrialization and mass production, they're kind of wanting to take things back to its analog state and um, using primitive and tribal cultures to kind of counterpoint this modern aesthetic. And, and a point I like to make is by Robert Hughes, who refers to, who refers in The Shock of the New, which is a really interesting book about kind of modernist art, that he says that Picasso didn't really care about the ritual uses that these artifacts had, and they knew nothing about their original tribal meanings or about the societies from which the masks came. The African carvings were kind of exploitable resources like copper or palm oil, and Picasso's use of them was a kind of cultural plunder. Picasso failed to acknowledge the cultural and anthropological connotations of African art and used them as emblems of savagery and violence transferred into the sphere of culture. Um, okay. I won't... Yeah. yeah, I mean, there's like a lot to like unpack this. I was just like letting you go on and obviously just uh, really unpack a lot of the blog posts because... Uh, uh, as you mentioned there, obviously, the blog post uh, is called Primitive, Primitivism and Otherness Representation in Art. And uh, uh, this, for, for about a page long or so, I mean, you go into like a lot of detail in terms of um, the sort of cultural background of a lot of this. Uh, and I learned quite a lot from, from your blog post. So let me just like um, pick up some of the points you made there and just uh, maybe just kind of understand a little bit more in depth of, of, the, of the points that you were raising there. Um, so from the perspective of something that obviously I don't come from an art background and uh, I don't think a lot of our listeners will be as well. So uh, to an extent, you're, you're saying that this is almost like a, what we'd refer to nowadays as more commonly as perhaps as like cult cultural appropriation uh, as such uh, from Picasso's work uh, without the sort of, you know, the same sort of uh, idea that comes from a lot of the trends that come online and Instagram and things like that, mm -hmm. where there are specific trends usually taken from black culture and used within uh, the wider part of society. And uh, one can only assume that, you know, the art world is uh, more white and upper class. So uh, uh, essentially these sort of trends were happening even in the early sort of 20th century. And, but if Picasso was one of these artists to kind of take up one of these uh, trends from tribal African backgrounds, uh, was the sort of trend continued off of his work and essentially kind of attributed back to Picasso um, in the way that many sort of trends nowadays, like you'll talk about something, not to belittle obviously the uh, art world, but in, essentially like you, you take a situation like a, a Kardashians taking the braids, you know, wearing mm. or box braids and things like that. Uh, and everyone's saying that, you know, these are, you know, you know, the sort of, uh, these are only in trend now because somebody like the Kardashians were, uh, I don't want to really, uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> situation and put it all the way down to like uh, a way that I can maybe understand it. But is it similarly, is it sort of that sort of trend? Uh, is that what, is that what happened I think, within the art world? I think there's a little bit more differences because, you know, I think I firmly believe that we're kind of products of our society, how we've grown up, right? So I would say back in the late, 19th century early 20th century you know these these connotations and the idea of various different cultures what 
were kind of systematically demonized. So I wouldn't say Picasso had the kind of resources to better understand or better kind of know or experience these different cultures. Maybe I'm a little bit ignorant on that statement, but um, I don't think it kind of comes from a malicious point of view because of the lack of information that was kind of out there. So he just kind of saw these objects. Maybe he just saw they look good. They look, they're all right. Didn't really know much about them. Really couldn't find out much more about them, maybe because there's a lack of resource out there or lack of honesty and where these cultures really came from. Um, so I think that's a little bit more different to where, where things happen a bit in a contemporary standpoint, like you said about the Kardashian's braids, that information's out there. That information's been there for, for decades. You know, that system of cultural appropriation has been talked about for, it's, it's not a new conversation, not a new conversation for me, especially. It's been going around. Whereas Picasso, these kind of ideas came straight off the boat, straight away. It was new for everyone involved. So I don't think in Picasso's defense, it wasn't really, you know, it wasn't come from a malicious or kind of standpoint. I'm not saying that the Kardashians did that in the same way, mm -hmm. but, you know, there's a lot more ignorance involved because of the lack of education yeah. and more of an imperialistic standpoint on how the other or primitive societies are kind of represented whereas nowadays there's a lot more information there's a lot more resources and you, there's more opportunity to learn and engage with various different cultures and societies to kind of be making those kind of mistakes yeah i guess a counterpoint to that would obviously be that for many people obviously just learning of this now uh, whether or not it was something it was intentional or not it's clearly something that's come from a place of um not his background, not his culture, from a different place, uh, and essentially, uh, to some degree, has uh, created this man's career and legacy, which obviously everyone knows. They think of art, they think of, they think of Picasso. Um, but I guess the, the, these are backgrounds of things like that can be, um, you know, historical backgrounds and things like that are obviously way above my understanding. So I, I suppose I could uh, play devil's advocate with you for. Uh, the rest of this podcast but I, I guess what we're, what we're interested in is obviously the uh, uh, impact that this has on us today and perhaps in the modern art world on top of that above and beyond in media so um, just staying mm. on the sort of um, theme of the art world for now before we move on to the media aspect uh, is that you, you'd made a, a, a reference towards uh, gollywogs uh, within the post at some point and just about the impact that this has happened within obviously the art world uh, and obviously at one point these um figurines if no one's really uh, aware of what they are obviously they were just kind of um caricature i guess a way to describe it would be like a caricature doll of uh of a uh, african person um and uh, of a, or of a black person uh, and essentially uh, white children had them growing up in the 20th century and i don't know if it, even earlier earlier than that um and they were still used in advertising obviously in the i think even the 50s and the 60s and so um uh, and i had a, like a personal experience of, of uh, uh seeing a gollywog used within a uh art um exhibition uh, i was there with a friend and basically i'd seen it and uh she's white and basically she didn't really understand what the issue was with the with the gollywog being used in the exhibition and uh we just walked in we hadn't actually read any of the 
signs and things like that to find out what the exhibition was about. It was quite interesting. It looked nice. Uh, but I was quite taken aback. Uh, and later on, I went to go read the sign and it was part of this uh, exhibition, which was like a staircase. You walked up uh, and on the staircase, there was a, there was a random objects and things like that he'd collected over time, like 15, 20 years, I think it was. Uh, and one of them was a uh, uh, gollywogs. Uh, and essentially he had created this exhibition on the staircase in the middle of his uh, wider work uh, to basically um, open up a, a wider question about whether or not there is racism in heaven. And basically the aspect of being obviously these dolls and things like that up there. And obviously it was just slightly higher up. Uh, and it was quite interesting because uh, uh, she herself was a, a master's student in uh, art. And uh, her whole class, I think, had actually had a trip towards this, uh, to this exhibition. And no one had picked up on this. And I myself, obviously understanding the, the background of this um, was quite taken aback and kind of found it kind of shocking that these, this artwork still, would still be used. So I guess there is that shock and awe impact of using uh, figurines like this, but it doesn't really work uh, in the larger sense. And I guess the point I'm getting to here is essentially um, sometimes these uh, sort of images or um, sort of in the perspective of what's happening with Picasso, so it might be used or they might be appropriated. Uh, and the receiver of the um, artwork or the sort of method being used might not understand it. So in a way, it could be damaging going ahead. And also in the media aspect as well, uh, which uh, you'd brought up about Apu or Raj and things like that, some people might see the aspect of someone being Asian and they're, you know, not the most, you know, outwardly, you know, so-called masculine man, but at the same time, mm. uh, what's wrong with that? He's just a playful guy. So what if it's funny if he's not able to speak to women? Or so what if he has a funny accent? I know not everyone's like that, but I guess the danger comes in is when every representation is basically that representation. So uh, I wanted to know your thoughts and opinions on like the wider aspect of uh, sort of why this, uh, I mean, I guess specifically between Asian men, also both of us um, come from a South Asian background, both of us are male, is that the these conversations don't happen very often. So I wanted to know your mm. perspective on why this hasn't really been a wider discussion and also what do you think the wider impact has been on our representation? That's a good question. I think, like you're saying, back to the Apu and Raj standpoint and people's perception of, especially South Indian men, like if you're going to have in the media like a, a single reference point of a demographic, that demographic is going to have your entire kind of perception in hold. It's going to, they're going to have, all your thoughts and opinions. So if you see Apu is your, that's the only, he's the only South Indian individual that you've ever come across, whether it be in the news or the television, you're going to assume, we're going to make that assumption that almost everyone's like that, which again, it's, it's not great. It's very damaging to um, the social structures of, you know, British, British born South, in, South Indian men. And it has that really negative impact that that's the, especially from our standpoint as well. So when we see that, it's like, is that what we're supposed to be? Or is that what we're all like? And that's my, that's one of the issues that I've had growing up is that I used to see these representations. I was like, is that what I'm supposed to be? Is that what people see me as? And those kind of discussions don't get talked about enough because for 
reasons unbeknown to me maybe it's a cultural thing that we don't speak about these things we're supposed to just kind of go our own way do our own things um you know make our parents proud that sort of thing so we don't really pay much attention to it we just kind of put it in the back of our mind but without there's more of an open discussion of cultural representation i think now's a very good time to to speak specifically on how asian men are being represented in in the media on social media in films television that sort of thing to see how because we're all not we're all not like that like you said we're all not you know we don't all have corner shops or things like that we don't all have the inability to to speak to women now like i'll put my hands up you know i've stumbled a few times you know <laughs> i think we've all been <laughs> there you know? <laughs> you know but that's not us and i think if we kind of put our hands up more and say that's not me that's not what we're like i think we can kind of get the discussion flowing a little bit more yeah but i suppose uh uh i mean it got, how widespread it is that obviously like uh the the discussion i mean there are some positive sort of uh influences nowadays to an extent the um i mean there's obviously that show was it never have i ever that came out i was a uh, there's obviously still issues with a lot of these shows and things like that that come out. Obviously, that one being a little bit more of a positive representation, I think, towards like um, female South Asian um, representation. But uh, they still have issues with, for example, the the accent that comes through, even if there is better mm. positive representation, something that is created by that. Uh, I think one mm. of the uh, the mom or something like that still kind of speaks with that sort of um, Indian accent that they that Apu sort of has. Um, where in real life she doesn't even sound like that so why wouldn't you just talk with how you talk with your regular accent it makes no sense as to why you would put on that additional accent to speak like that um, even to the fact that it's a it's made it into cartoons and things like that like uh, for example Phineas and Ferb like Baljeet I think it is I mean even like a young I don't know if you watched Phineas and Ferb before but even like a yeah. young boy, I mean I, even like a young boy like him I mean he, he's got the same sort of aspect of um, you know he has to he's a bright well, the stereotypes bright has a plus super smart mm. difficulty speaking to women and uh like you said for the apu sort of aspect obviously just uh owns a corner shop or you know the other sort of types of representation we have probably closer to home still game you know navid mm. owns a corner shop again um that the citizens can around here i mean these are obviously negative i mean the only sort of male asian role model that can come to mind for me within like either media or you know music and things like that is probably like dev patel you know you mm. know our king out here some dog millionaire right and everything else he's done <laughs> riza ahmed i suppose um uh and you know personal favorite of mine zen malik right so that's mm. i mean that's the representation that we have um so far i mean there's quite obviously quite clearly a lot more work to be done um, mm. But I thought it was quite interesting the the perspective that you had brought in because uh, brought through your uh, work through like obviously your masters and the, your background within art because it shows how widespread the problem is that it's not exactly like a modern day issue it's something that goes above and beyond just something that's an issue over the last couple of decades and I think we need to make sure that when these discussions are happening people aren't shying away from the fact that this is a long, this has been a long-term issue. Um, something that I personally feel uh, a bit annoyed by, by a lot of the 
uh, either Instagram posts that come out or sort of Twitter discussions or like even other podcasts discussing these things is that I feel at times people bring the issue as if it's a it's something they've suddenly discovered has happened over the last three <laughs> months. And I'm like, <laughs> representation has never been there. So therefore, it has always been an issue. Mm. It's not something that you finally discovered. I mean, for example, a few days ago, um, a girl I really admire uh, uh, from uh, Instagram and things like that. She does amazing work. Um, she has her, her own podcast as well called uh, Brown Splain. Everyone should check that out. Plug in another podcast for free <laughs> uh, on the first episode. But she was discussing about, you know, the issues in terms of um, we have with names and things like that, you know, uh, people's description of names and things like that uh, on the BBC Asian uh, network. And I feel as if a lot of these uh, networks or representations on mainstream sort of platform are bringing the discussions all the way back to like the first stop. And it's oh. like, you know, these, these conversations need to develop a lot more. And I feel as if that's something we'll be able to do a lot more comfortably on this oh. podcast as we obviously go over the next, you know, few weeks and months and hopefully years as we discuss uh, more of your blog, co- blog posts uh, with us um, but I think that's obviously like a great place to stop there um, as if it, unless you've got anything more to add there Garanga um, no I think I think we've covered uh, a major some of the major points I think if you read the blog post um, on Mountain Scott um, they'll probably be a bit more a bit more nuanced than what we spoke about and there's probably a little bit more resources that you can check out there as well yeah yeah fantastic but i think it's been a really great first episode and uh, i would thoroughly encourage everybody who's listening in here to check out your uh instagram page you're doing a very interesting project <laughs> <laughs> I'm yeah. uh, do you want to speak about it yeah of course um so like i said i'll just graduated from uh do basically in history of art course at the university of edinburgh but i did my undergrad in graphic design so i'm also a graphic designer as well and this year i thought i'd treat myself to maybe a, like a 365 day challenge where it's like a typographical challenge where i'm designing a specific word every day in a new style i'm not going to say the word here um i think you've got to go check out the uh, instagram to to really appreciate it it's at the nimo and co I'm sure we'll get a link of that uh, in the description here. But it's, a, it's an interesting project. The idea is which is to use this one singular word every day of the year just to find a new typographical element of it, you know, just can really explore the creative backgrounds with it and to see how far we can kind of really push, not the, just the word itself, but how we visualize things. And I think this project kind of stems a little bit further from either from a visual point of view that the way that I'm taking it is you've got to keep on doing something to get something new, something interesting. You've got to keep on churning out maybe rubbish material every now and again, then you might get a nugget of gold. And I think that's a very important lesson that we should all kind of learn is, is that we need to keep on doing things, keep on moving forward, keep on trying things out. And that's what this project's mainly about. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think there's also that aspect nowadays of uh, people say they want quantity over quality, which is uh, why they might delay some of their work. But it's within that quantity that you find quality. Uh, And I've definitely saw that within your work. I mean, uh, the first seven or eight days were uh, interesting. Then then you start to take a very interesting creative turn. And I've been, uh, (laughs) I I can't wait to see what comes for the the rest of the year. 
but I guess it's just a round off obviously our first uh, podcast episode I think it's uh, been a success but uh, if everyone else would <laughs> like to anyone who's listening in would like to obviously provide us with any feedback obviously message us on uh, at melting scott on instagram and uh, or email us at uh, melting scott at gmail.com or obviously on our website melting scott.com uh, but uh, until next time granga i guess uh, this is for us today but yeah thanks again for having me no worries my man speak soon bye-bye bye see you soon mm-hmm.